What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 526 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I think I've got the name right, finally. Uh, it's only been a few months. I am your host for this episode. I'm Sam Klein, coming to you on the morning of July 23rd, 2023, and I'm joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason, sir, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Sam. I'm uh, ready for us to talk about the non-conference schedule seems like the non-conference schedule is uh, is finally in place. Just based on the count of games, we had one big recent announcement, uh, a game that we that we believed was coming on the schedule, but is now officially on the schedule. So we will talk about that uh, and and some practice footage that came out of a lot of Duke basketball players making shots. We also have Donald Wine here. Donald, what's up, man? You're you're going on a trip soon. I'm going on a trip soon. I'm going to. New Zealand and Australia for the Women's World Cup, which started this past week. I know I'm a little late, but I will be joining uh, the team in Wellington for uh, the group stage and then the round of 16 in Sydney or Melbourne. Very, very excited. Very, very tired. Very, very busy. Side note, last week I was on business in Blacksburg and I was doing work at Virginia Tech at Lane Stadium and Castle Coliseum, like kind of getting their stuff ready for the season. And let me tell you, uh, anyone who's who is planning to go to Lane Stadium, very big stadium, very nice. Do not eat anything there. Just going to leave that there. What do you mean? Wait, wait, wait. The we need more. The <laughs> we need more. <laughs> the, let's just. They need to do some deep cleaning of that stadium. Let's just put it that way. Castle Coliseum, fine, decent stadium. Lane Stadium, turkey legs, do that. Anything else? Bottles, cans. That's it. That's all you want to do. Huh. Is it is it ironic to be eating turkey legs at Lane Stadium? It it is kind of ironic, but the you way. know, as, as people as, as people know, you know, Wallace Wade, you know, they used to have the turkey legs. I, I think they still do have the turkey legs. They used to be the bomb, um, and they are, are at Lane Stadium. I can attest. I went to a game at Lane Stadium and had the turkey leg, and it is just as good as it is at Wallace Wade. I, I was more referring to I the fact that that they're the Hokies. They're, they're Hokies. Yes. No, I get yeah. it. Right. I get it. I got the joke. You can't eat. You can't <laughs> eat bits of Blue Devil. Uh, at Wallace Wade Stadium, or if you did, you'd probably get rather sick. So, right, indeed. Uh, yeah, I've never been to to Lane Stadium. I would very much like to go there. It seems it seems incredible. Uh, it is really, it is a rocking stadium. They I'll, put I'll on a, they that. put on a show there. Uh, you know who else puts on a show? The Duke basketball when they go to Madison Square Garden, uh, which is where they're going in December to play Baylor. Uh, that that's the 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 final uh, the final jewel in the crown, I suppose. 
of Duke's non-conference schedule, a non-conference schedule that uh, we're we're going to talk about here for a little bit. But um, before we get to that, uh, this Baylor game uh, is announced. It's December twentieth at MSG. This is Duke's annual uh, trip to to New York to make sure that they play uh, in front of all the uh, gentlemen who work in finance, who who are who are Duke alumni, of which there are mm-hmm. many. Uh, maybe some of us will get to be there at the game. I don't know yet. Uh, I've, I've got it on the calendar, hoping I can I can make it down there for it. Donald, what do you think about the announcement that Duke has officially added Baylor to the non-conference schedule? Oh, this is great. I think it rounds out what is a you know pretty you know I know we had some uh, reservations and people reservations about this non-conference schedule and some of the teams we were playing, but Baylor adds to what is a pretty strong non-conference schedule in my opinion, one of the strongest we've had in quite a you know quite a bit with this number of teams that are you know power five you know what will be quad one type of of games. And playing in front of Madison Square Garden is great because it provides kind of a, you know, Final Four-like atmosphere or, or, you know, Elite Eight-type atmosphere. Baylor, I'm pretty sure it's the first time we will have played them since the 2010 Elite Eight. Someone can check me on that. Um, But, I I mean, to get that back and have that kind of program, which, I I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I don't really like the program, Baylor, but I do like playing them. I like beating them. Um, so I'm really excited to see this in Madison Square Garden, which is our home away from home. And to get back up there uh, would be great. And Sam, hopefully you can come down for the game and I can go up for the game and we can meet in the middle at the garden. We can and we can cross paths in the night. That that would be exactly. pretty cool. Jason, Jason, what do you think about Duke adding Baylor to the non-conference? What does this do uh, for, for Duke's non-conference schedule? One of the things, and, and I, I want you to touch on the the fact that usually this Madison Square Garden game, I feel like, is a little bit earlier in the schedule. This is coming like right before Christmas. So Duke will have uh Duke may maybe have played a few ACC games before they get to this Baylor game. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I, I would I would bet that there's at least one, probably two ACC games. There are a couple of holes on this schedule, like in very early December, that that I could definitely see. Uh, the you know those holes are being kept open for the ACC to schedule a game or two, and, and that's been the trend in recent years. Uh, look, in terms of Baylor, I'm I'm quite pleased. You know, look, this is a great team to add. It's a high profile team. Scott Drew, when they announced the game, Scott Drew, the Baylor coach, said that over the last few. This is a quote. He goes, "Over the last few seasons, we have been two of the best teams in college basketball." Um. I thought he was maybe going to say the two best teams in college basketball because you could you could make that argument. It's not a crazy argument to make that over the past, you know, well, for Duke, it's been for a long, long time. But for Baylor, over the past, like, four years or so, they have absolutely been arguably the, you know, one of the top two, three, whatever you want to say it, programs in the, in the game. I, I'm not so sure. It doesn't look like Baylor's a top 15 club next year, maybe just outside of it. They're, they're still top 25. And as Donald said, this is still going to be a quad one matchup, but but maybe Baylor's a little bit off of what they've been um, in recent years. Their best player, by the way, is pretty likely to be uh, Jalen Bridges, who I think is just a perfect matchup for Mark Mitchell. Uh, you know, they're both going to play like you know small forward, and 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 if you look at Bridges' game, uh, he was about a ten point per game scorer for Baylor last year, and it's expected to make a little bit of a leap this year. I, I feel like Duke's got a this is a good matchup for Duke. Well, you know, obviously as we get closer, we'll we'll really go into a deep dive on Baylor. But but just on paper, it's a Baylor club that has a lot in the backcourt. 
but not a lot in the front court. I think that, you know, if you look at Duke's roster and we're going to talk about the scrimmage video that we got, I, I, I think that Duke is a team that probably is going to play a little bit smaller than they have in the past and facing a team like Baylor that also probably is going to play fairly small really plays nicely into, you know, where our best getting our best guys on the floor together. So I, I look forward to the matchup. I think it's great in terms of the rest of the non-conference schedule, just super fast. I, Donald, I agree with you that sort of these, we've got four games that we've set up against power five teams that are really impressive. They look really good on paper. Um, I, you know, every one of these guys, every one of these teams looks like they'll be contenders for their, for their conference um, championship and, and teams that will be significant on the national stage. And these will be quad one games. I'm still not in love with the non-conference schedule just because our our multi-team event, our Thanksgiving event, is is so bleh. I mean, it's Bucknell, LaSalle, LaSalle, and Southern Indiana, none of whom are expected to be teams of any significance in the sport. If if you told me we had this non-conference schedule and we were playing in a tournament that had at least one other top 25 team, you know, maybe maybe a top 25 and then a top 40 kind of team. I'd go, oh, okay. That now you're talking, now you're really talking. But because and and remember, guys, I mean, like in recent years, like we played in, played in the PK eighty five. Literally, you're playing a top forty team every single game, and and we've played in other tournaments like that, whether it be in Maui or the Atlantis. Everyone knows the names of these tournaments. For Duke not to be participating in any of those kind of tournaments, to me, still taints the schedule a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there uh, with the multi-team event. I think a lot of us were uh, hoping for something a little bit more, even if it was going to be in Durham to have a couple of you know decent teams come in as part of that multi-team event. But So I'll give you that point. I, I want to go back to uh, Baylor because you guys touched on a couple of things that I think people need to realize. You know, First of all, the, the game being at Madison Square Garden on December 20th isn't uncommon. We did play Texas Tech at the Garden in 2018 i think that was like december 18th it was right after the reading period which is what this game is going to be and jason you mentioned some of the the teams that we are going to witness in this uh in this non-conference schedule right before that reading period break that we normally take every december we're playing hofstra which was the you know one of the top teams in the in the colonial athletic last year then we have that break and then we come right back with a game at the garden i my imagination or at least my my speculation is that we will probably get one ACC game before the reading period and nothing. And if, if we don't get that one, it's going to be after the Texas tech game basically between December 20th and the new year when we start opening the season. So hey, it, you said I, Texas I we'll tech game, you mean Baylor game. I'm sorry, the Baylor game. Correct. <laughs> yes. Baylor. I, 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 I was on the Texas tech train for a while, but uh, yeah, I think the, the schedule sets itself up where just like last year, we came out of the reading break with kind of a trap game. And it was Wake Forest. We had a couple guys who were sick in, in Whitehead and in Lively. Guys just did not show up, and they were very rusty, and we got the doors blown off us. This game, I think, is set up so that John Sherry and the coaching staff can say, hey, we have Baylor right after this reading period. So there will be no, like, hey, there's going to be no relaxation. The rest that we get from this reading period, we better shake it off quickly because we got a really tough team we got to compete on. And it's, you know, one of those trips. Well, yes, it's a home away from home, but they're treating it like a road trip, right? They they do the logistics of a road trip to get up to New York City and do kind of the glitz and glamour that is behind a big event like this. So this is, I think, set up strategically to make sure that these guys are ready coming out of that reading period 
and be ready to play, not just for Baylor, but for the rest of the ACC season. Yo, Donald, playing in Madison Square Garden, Kyle Filipowski, the number of Filipowskis in the arena and Filipowski family and friends is going to be big. This is this is Kyle Filipowski's big game, I think. Also, the powers. The powers are going to be coming down from Wooster. So they'll be good. They'll be good to go. Did I do that right, it, Sam? Wooster? Yeah, you I I think you got it about as close as you could. Uh <laughs> not not being not being from up here. Uh not that I am either. So but when I look at the schedule, Jason, you were talking about how it's a bummer that that Duke doesn't get one of those one of those premium Thanksgiving events. It's basically like Duke traded that for the home and home with Arizona, at least for this year. So Duke gets the one. It, it, it's interesting. Duke's got these four premium uh, non-conference games, only one of which is actually being played at Cameron, uh, which is the Arizona game, because Duke is at Arkansas for the um, for the new ACC SEC challenge. Best game in the there. schedule, by the way. Best Ar- that game in Arkansas. Oh. It's going to be. I mean, they're already <laughs> folks at Arkansas are already saying this is the biggest game that they've hosted in their history. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know huge. if, uh, I don't know if the season ticket holders have, have started releasing uh, their limited tickets on StubHub yet, but I imagine it's going to be, it's going to be a tough ticket to get into uh, to Bud Walton arena for that one. But so that one's away. And then Duke gets the, the game against Baylor, which we talked about. And then the, the one other premium game is the champions classic, which is against Michigan state in Chicago. Uh, I believe the last time Duke played Michigan State in Chicago was was the one that I was at when uh, when Grayson Allen scored like I don't know like a hundred points or something. Uh, but but Michigan, you know, Michigan State in Chicago. I don't know who's bringing more fans to that game. I think when I was there, I I told you that there were more Michigan State fans there. There will certainly be a lot of Kentucky and Kansas fans in the arena. Uh, that's probably like you know other than for Duke fans and there are a lot of Duke alumni in Chicago, but all those other schools have a ton of people in Chicago. So that's like, it's like that in Indianapolis are like, are like the best places where they host this event. So that's going to be like for, for for Kentucky, it's like a four hour or five hour drive to get from Lexington to Chicago from Kansas is about eight hours. But at least like you said, they have a huge alumni base that's already present there. Oh, so that one will be, will be pretty raucous. So I, I imagine that all of these, um, all of these these highlight non-conference games that Duke has, you know, other, you know, th- it's basically like they've got two away games and two home games uh, in terms of the in terms of the crowd. They're going to be present. And so I really like that. I don't think anyone's going to be giving grief to Duke this year for uh, for their non-conference scheduling, given given some of these tough opponents. Jason, when you look at the rest of the schedule, I know um, Donald brought up a, a a couple names that are that are also on there, including Hofstra. Anyone else that stands out to you uh, that you're. Uh, that you're particularly interested in or where you're saying, you know, wouldn't it, like, I, I see that like Duke's got an Ivy league team on their schedule. Why didn't they schedule a, you know, some other Ivy league team? I don't know if Dartmouth is the, is going to be the top team uh, up here in the Northeast this season. Look, the thing about these games against these uh, mid majors and, and smaller, because let's be clear, several of the teams that Duke is, playing are would not even really qualify as as a mid-major program uh, Hofstra and Charlotte I guess would uh, most of the rest of these are, are are from conferences that are you know really really not very good I, I I don't I don't like these games because I don't think they do anything for your strength of schedule I get that you need to have these games look we need to have an opportunity to occasionally try and score 100 points which which Donald loves and which the fans love and and Duke will have some of those opportunities. I get that you need games so that you can work on some things, develop some things in I don't want to say it's a non-competitive game, but in a game that is, you know, 
not very competitive. And and look, th- these are places where Duke's going to get to figure out. We got like 10, 11 or something like that guys in this roster who we all think deserve time. And and the simple reality is probably they're going to be, by the end of the season, eight guys playing. So we got to figure out how to get to eight from the 11 or so. And so that's what we need these games for, to give everybody chances in games. So all for them. But but if you're a team outside of the top 80, top 100 maybe, then nothing but bad things can come of playing a team like that. And frankly, to me, there's no difference. The NCAA selection committee, the folks who look at your schedule and 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 you know try and rate how you did against it, there really functionally isn't a huge difference in playing a team that's 150th and 200 or 250th or 300th. There's just not. You're you're expected to beat that team. You're expected to beat them easily, and you know being pleased because oh we we played a few more teams that are in the top 200 as opposed to teams in the bottom 150. That 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 means nothing to me. It doesn't matter in your quadrant. Those are all going to be quad three or quad four games, and no one there's no difference in a quad three and a quad four game as far as the NCA is concerned. So I, I I don't get excited about any of these contests. I know why they exist. It makes sense, but. I I would I'd be quite pleased if there's one less of them on the schedule. I also think when it comes to these schedules that we and, and this even goes back to Coach K, the philosophy was to schedule teams that have playing styles that you might see in the NCAA tournament. Now, you don't schedule it like if, if Baylor, for example, has a you know particular style of play. You don't just go schedule the best team that has that best style, right? You schedule a team that has that similar style but is not as good so that you can work on what to do when you would face a better team down the road. So some of these teams, and obviously we we will dive into a lot of these teams as we get closer to the season and as we approach those games, but some of these teams are going to have styles of play that are going to be unique or at least different from what we normally see in the ACC. And that's usually the philosophy for behind some of the decisions made on the non-conference schedule, who they play, when they play, and why they play them. So we'll, we'll see, you know, Guys at different sets will, you know, Duke's going to have some different formations, different lineup combinations so that they can kind of figure out during ACC season and, of course, postseason time who they can rely on, what combinations they can rely on, and even what plays they can go to down the stretch. We won't know until the the ACC home office uh, asks ChatGPT to produce the ACC conference schedule uh, exactly which, which teams are showing up there in December. Uh, I think you guys were saying that there's looks like there's space for definitely a space for one ACC game there in in early December, which has become you know a standard part of the schedule and and breaks up the non-conference a bit, and then potentially another one right around that Baylor game, which you know as we find out, we might we might be talking about how that game gets you know gets a lot more difficult if Duke has a conference game in in proximity to it. Because, you know, Duke's going to be preparing potentially for a tough ACC opponent. Not that there are that many tough ACC teams projected coming into the season. It's definitely going to be a a, a handful of haves and a lot of have-nots for the ACC uh, this season. But but that also complicates things where yeah. in the Sam, conference schedule and the conference schedule are more intertwined now. Yeah, Sam, I'll, I'll tell you. So Duke has Baylor on Wednesday the 20th. My bet is the team takes a Christmas break after that. Christmas falls on a Monday this year and and then their their next game on the on the actual schedule doesn't come till the 30th and that's when they're playing queens 
uh, I, my bet is that there's a game in there like on Wednesday or Thursday, like the, the 27th, 28th, something like that of December that will be an ACC game. My bet is the ACC sort of reserve that spot on the schedule. Donald pointed this out earlier. I bet we get one, you know, first few days of December, and then we get one last few days of December, right before the 30th. And that, you're right, that Queens game is sort of weirdly sandwiched in there, but, you know, it'll be what it'll be. Queens, which, as I learned this morning when I was doing my research on this, a school in Charlotte, uh, not not yeah, a school in New York, in Queens. which is which was my initial guess. Uh, but but it turns out this was, you know, this is like Duke playing uh, UNC Asheville, uh, you know, just playing playing one of the local schools. So that's pretty cool. All right. Any other any other comments on the non-conference schedule? If not, we are going to take a break when we get back. Uh, we mentioned at the top that Duke men's basketball released footage of of some summer scrimmage. Uh, I believe as I'm reviewing the tape that that uh, Duke is going to shoot 100% from the floor this season, but we will pick apart this footage after we take the break. So stick around. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. We are back. I told you we're going to be uh, breaking down the summer scrimmage video. But before we do, I had totally forgotten before the break that we do need to talk a bit of, I would say it's not recruiting news, but it's but it's incremental uh, Dude, recruiting it's news. content. It's a it's news. news. It's, yeah. I feel like it's not news until they commit. But uh, Duke has a, has a major target uh, who has narrowed his list, and it appears that Duke is at the top of it. So, Jason Evans, uh, can you tell us a bit? about a center recruit, Flory Badinga. Yeah, this dude is uh, a real stud. He's considered a top five player, the number one center in the class of 2024, a, a really a, a tremendously skilled scorer and, and very athletic in the in the post. Uh, he's only 6'8", um, and, and not a guy, he is a very good leaper, but not a guy who's known 
as as a super elite shot blocker, but but you know, just as one of these dudes who's all energy, hoovers up all the rebounds, and and is a a heck, uh, it just got a lot of different moves he puts on players in the post. He has lowered his um, lowered his finalists, so to speak. He, he's he's figured out the four schools that he says are in the running for his services, and everyone says that Flory Benunga is probably you know, just weeks, if not days away from making an announcement. Here are his final four. It is Duke, Auburn, Kansas, and Michigan. And I'm I'm here to tell you that that's a very interesting final four because a couple of those schools, to me, don't make a lot of sense. Like, if he's going to make his choice in the next few weeks, how can he pick Kansas? They already have Hunter Dickinson, who could take a, a fifth-year in the post for them. In fact, I think is pretty likely to take a fifth year. Hunter Dickinson has talked about how he how he wants to to make NIL money. Um, he's not someone who's seen as a big time NBA prospect. Like it, it's fairly likely he would go undrafted. Uh, you know, this is sort of another Oscar Shibway or Armando Baycott situation, a guy who is great in college, but the NBA just isn't all that interested. I think it's very likely that Hunter Dickinson will be back at Kansas for a fifth year. Well, Flory and and Hunter can't play at the same time, so I don't know how Kansas is a finalist for this dude. And and frankly, I I think Michigan is sort of a strange choice. I'm not I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, there, there's a lot of talk that they could be Michigan could be moving on to a new coach at the end of this year. Michigan's had some issues with NIL that they they've not. One of the reasons Hunter Dickinson left was because they weren't paying a lot of NIL. I'm not saying that that Flory has got his hand out to everybody, but if if NIL payment matters and it matters to most of these guys, Michigan's not really a contender. And and Auburn is an interesting Final Four choice. I, I I don't know. They don't typically get guys quite like this, guys quite this good. And I, I don't know. All signs. Everyone is saying that this is probably probably a kid who's going to sign on to Duke. And if he does, he would be the top recruit for Duke in the class of twenty twenty four. If you look at Duke's roster today. And, and sort of project, you know, just sort of gambling and trying to be like, okay, maybe I can figure out who's going to be back next year. It looks like Duke's going to be fairly well equipped in the backcourt. They've already got a couple 2024 recruits who are going to be, you know, wings and the such. But but the front court looks fairly bare. And Flory Badunga would step right into a very, very prominent role for the Blue Devils if he signs on. And, and that's what the signs sort of look like. Jason, I think you got the pronunciation right. I think it's I think it's Badunga, which I I had wrong at the beginning. So let me make sure I correct that. And then my other yo yo wait, Sam Sam, it should be Badunkia. If you've seen the oh. of this dude, this dude <laughs> Badunkias all the time. <laughs> uh, one other thing that I know, we talked at some point about Patrick Gongba, who uh, is also a center recruit, not as not as yes. highly regarded um, as Badunga is, but I, when we talked about him. Some time ago, uh, we were saying about how he's he's on that Paul the Sixth team that seems to send like every other player to Duke in recent years. So, does this also mean that that uh, John Shire has put that center spot has sort of leapfrogged uh, Gongbo with uh, with Badunga in terms of that of that center recruiting? I mean, it it sort of looks that way. It may be that the two of them are on different timelines in terms of picking their final school, and I'm sure you know. 
you, you, all you need to do is look at the Duke roster today and, and look at the number of five-star guys who are not going to be starting for Duke and go, okay, Pat, John Shire is apparently able to convince dudes who would walk in and have starting positions elsewhere. Caleb Foster, Jared McCain, TJ Power, Sean <laughs> Stewart. He's able to look at guys like that and go, hey, come to Duke and you can sit on the, not, not literally sit on the bench, but you can be a backup for your first season. And these guys are like, yeah, I'm all in on that. It's amazing. That, that Duke is able to do that. So it's possible that they'll get both these guys. I kind of feel like if Duke gets Bedunga, that they'll back off of uh, Mbonga a little bit. I'm not pronouncing his name right, whatever, you know. Uh, but but I put nothing past John Shire in terms of recruiting. And it is worth noting that everyone still expects Cooper Flagg to reclassify to the class of 2024. That would be another big man. Cooper Flagg would start. Cooper Flag would be the number one recruit in the class of 2024 if he reclassifies. So that is also part of all this stuff. It was my other question because, like, presumably Sean Stewart is coming back. I guess, you know, maybe if he's if he's as good as as we've been speculating this spring, uh, Duke Duke is like coming into this season, uh, Duke is loaded with like with like wings and and guards. Next season, is there a world where where Duke has too many big and by the way. You know, Donald, maybe you can can't have too many. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You cannot have too many. You can't have too many. But <laughs> never. But, can't teach height. Kyle Filipowski, I'm still holding Kyle Filipowski to what he told us, which is that he wants to come to Duke and get his degree and stuff. So I, I don't know if, you know what? I don't know if there's room for all these guys, but this is the right problem to have. Donald, what do you think on the, on I was the gonna, recruiting I was, front? <laughs> I was going to say two years ago, we're like, man, we, we need to recruit like 37 guys to fill out a roster. And now we're like, we can pick and choose and get the best ones of, you know, these whatever's left or, or we can do what we want. And it feels kind of great to be in this position to have a plethora of riches as a poor, as, as opposed to, you know, having to restock the cupboard every year. And I know we were great at doing that, but it, it definitely gives you a little bit more stress to have to figure out, Hey, I got to fill out my team as opposed to, I can go and get guys that I need to, you know, compliment whoever's already here. So Yeah. Badunga and Gongva, flag all of them. Y'all can come. Y'all can come through. We're we're ready whoever, for you. Whoever, yeah, exactly. You you. I, yeah. I don't look. I don't. I don't think Duke's getting all three of those guys. I'll just say that <laughs> with Sean Stewart and TJ Power still on the roster, Christian Reeves, they're not getting three more big guys. I didn't say we were going to get all three. <laughs> I said all three of them can come. All, like if they want to come, that's great. We will accept all three. We're very we're very very nice. And, and and good people, and we will make sure that they are welcomed if all three decide to come. If two or, or one of them decide to come, that's all good too. The other two, best of luck. Patrick Gongba might have to might have to sit in section seventeen for the whole season. There might not be room for him over there. <laughs> <laughs> so he no, he'll be he'll be on the managers like row behind him, and it'll yeah. just be like you know five foot seven managers, and then a seven foot tall dude. Like we're talking about a top twenty five. We're talking about a top twenty five recruit that every school in the country wants, and we're like, oh, can we fit him next to the manager? This is this is such a first world problem. <laughs> this, is, this is the. Uh, I mean, this is the world where John Shire's in charge of the whole thing, right? Is that like we knew he's we knew he's the recruiting guy. So if nothing else, he's going to get amazing players. Uh, you know, we'll 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 continue seeing sort of how he how he puts the pieces together and and reassembles them every season, which is part of the challenge. Speaking of reassembling the pieces, uh, Duke put out a, just a just a just a bit. It's like a just a few minutes of scrimmage. Dude, video. it's like ten minutes. It's ten minutes. It's you a can, few minutes. You can tell everything you need to know about the team from this video. The whole, it's a taste. The whole team. It gives so, taste. So uh, why don't we just start with an easy question? 
Donald, how many minutes is Christian Reeves playing this year? What do you think? He's playing 37 minutes a game based on his <laughs> video. And getting and, and getting blocks and rebounds. And uh, I think I saw him take the ball up the floor at one point. No, seriously, it, Donald, what did you see in this video that, that got you excited about the team? Acknowledging that, of course, uh, this is not what you might call the raw uncut. Uh, I would say that this footage was raw. And then they put it through the... The, you know, they, they put it through the machine and the machine has spit back out, uh, you know, the, the advertising tape. I mean, I don't know if chat GBT edited this video, but it's it's still a great video. And I think here's the thing. There's a couple of players. When, when I look at these non raw uncut videos, I look to see who has kind of made leaps in my mind. And, and, and that is subjective, right? Like, you know, Jason could think that Cal Filipowski is the worst player on earth, and I could think he's the best player on earth. So that will skew how you look at these videos, right? So I'm looking for. I don't think who, that Kyle Filipowski is the worst player on earth. I know you don't, <laughs> I, but for the sake of example, but I I looked. He should have been less injured for this video. You yes, know? he did not play. Yes, he didn't play. He's still recovering, so we're fine with that. But, but I did see Roach back. I saw Mark Mitchell back on the floor. We didn't see him in the four on four videos, so that's great to see, and they look great. I think the two guys that stood out to me, Sam, you mentioned Christian Reeves. He was one in this video. He's all over the place and it's, it's fun to watch. And it's clear. I mean, even when you look at the videos from last summer to this summer, there is a, there is a market improvement in his game and his ability and in his ability to his confidence, I guess is, is what I'm getting at. That was really cool to see. I think the other guy that really impressed me was Caleb Foster. Cause Caleb Foster in these last few videos, like that they've done all year, He's all over the place too. He's making threes, he's layups, passing the ball, getting steals. You know, no one's doing defense, but he has good defensive posture. Like those sort of things, I think, you know, they impressed me because I haven't seen a lot of Caleb Foster play before these summer videos. So I think that's probably, again, Jason and, and Sam, you might disagree with me on who was more impressive, but for me, he was more impressive because. I haven't seen that much of him and to see how much of a focal point he is at least in these scrimmages is is telling that you know hey maybe we're going to have some competition Jeremy Kane I thought did very well as well you know shooting the ball Jaden shoot is shooting the ball very well Jalen Blakes I thought is you know is still improving and I like to see that improvement and, and the fact that we've been able to see his improvement from when he was a freshman to now I think is incredible so uh, the guard play I, I'm I'm kind of left with a question of how are we going to divide up all these minutes? I don't know that answer yet, but I do think that all these guys, at least right now, look like they could feature pretty prominently for Duke. And I, by prominently, I mean like all of them could get like 15, 20 minutes at least during the season. But I don't know how that's how that math works yet. We're going to figure that out as the season goes along. All right. So to answer Sam's question about how many minutes Christian Reeves plays this year, and, and look, I... I really, really want to be on the Christian Reeves train, but I just can't buy a ticket yet. And I I think that when Duke is playing really competitive games, um, especially once you get past January 1st, I, I don't think you're going to see Christian Reeves playing for this team. I, I, I just still feel like the guy I saw, yeah, he can dunk. I, I, I didn't really see him looking super quick. He doesn't appear to have other finishing moves other than dunking the ball. I didn't see it didn't look like he was even really trying to rebound out of his area very much, which to me is a, a, a huge sign of whether or not a guy is a good rebounder. Anyone can grab a ball that comes to them. But grabbing a ball that is, you know, a little bit out of your area is the difference in 
in being an adequate rebounder and a great rebounder. And I didn't see Christian Reeves even really trying to do that. Admittedly, there were not many rebounds to be had in this video, <laughs> uh, but I I'm just not there in the Christian Reeves train. And I think part of why I'm not there yet is that, is that I thought, um, uh, look, I still think Ryan Young looks like a guy who, who is going to get minutes. No question about it. Uh, this is like the third video in a row where Ryan Young has been confidently shooting three pointers. This is not and something making him and make right and making them exactly. <laughs> now, now look, we don't know if Ryan Young was was one of ten or one of one. Uh, wait, did he make one or two? He may have made two. I'm trying to recall, but we don't know how many he's shooting. We do know though that he's making them. They look like they're coming in rhythm. They look like there's something that he, you know, this isn't like a, everyone on the team going like, what the heck is that? Like, guys, I think sort of expect it. Now, Ryan Young attempted 21 three-pointers as a freshman at Northwestern. That was like 18 years ago or something like that. But it, it is something that he has had in his bag in the past. He didn't display it at all at Duke last year, which is perfectly fine. But if if he is even a little bit of a threat, of of stepping out on a screen and taking a three-pointer. It forced our opponents to play differently when Ryan Young is in the game. It means that if he drifts out to the perimeter a little bit, they can't just slough off of him. And and I, you know, like I was saying, I, I don't think Christian Reeves is going to play meaningful minutes. I still think Ryan Young is going to play 10 to 15 meaningful minutes for this team in virtually every game. And for him to sometimes in those minutes not be clogging up the middle, is is a real key for this team. One of the other guys that I thought was tremendously impressive in this video was Sean Stewart, who I think is absolutely going to play minutes at the five for Duke. He he played the four and the five in this video. Uh, Duke fans have not. I feel like we haven't talked enough about Sean Stewart as as a real real major part of the rotation this year. Uh, there's one sequence in this video where he grabs a rebound on the defensive end, immediately pushes and goes the other direction. The ball gets moved around a little bit. The defense scrambles a little bit. A shot goes up. It's missed, and he gets the rebound and slams it home. It feels, it felt to me on this video like he was the, the cutter, the release valve for all of our guys who drove to the basket. There were constant plays where he would get a layup or more often a dunk off of someone else getting in the lane, having the defense come to them, and and they need to look for for someone who's open then. And the guy who was open again and again and again was Sean Stewart. That is a real look. He is active. He is very, very mobile. He is very quick on the floor and off the floor. Uh, Ryan Young and Sean Stewart to me looked too good to for us to be thinking that Christian Reeves is going to get missed. I got I got stuff I can say about a lot of other guys, but if we're just talking about the bigs, I, I I'm just not seeing minutes for Christian Reeves because what I've seen from Ryan Young and from Sean Stewart is too impressive. So I I. I... I agree that, you know, and you know, in all honesty, that Christian Reeves minutes might be reduced because of the guys ahead of him. Right. But I want to ask a question. I want to take this back to 2001, 2001. We had some great big men, right. And we have, some, you know, we have legendary, you know, Carlos Boozer. We had, you know, the, when we had, when he went down, we had the, the center by committee with Reggie Love and Casey Sanders, and even like a little bit of Nick Horvath, but there was also Matt Christensen who, when the monster came out the cage, he didn't play more than like seven minutes a game sometimes. But that man, when he got into the game, he was active. He was all over the place. And he was a fan favorite because of his energy. And whenever someone was in foul trouble or anything like that, 
we knew that we can release the monster from the cage and he would come in and he would do something to keep everybody, you know, up and active until our guys got back into the game. I'm wondering, not necessarily if Christian Reeves can be the monster, right, and come out of the cage, but who from that group who is not going to get a lot of minutes can provide that similar energy this season because I think that's going to be important. If we get if, – if Flip needs to come out of the game, if Ryan Young needs to come out of the game, if Sean Stewart, you know, needs to come out of the game, these guys all need to be ready. And someone needs to be that guy that can come in and give so much energy that the, that the other team is like, dang, I got – I deal with this dude for five minutes and now I got now he's leaving and then flips coming back in the game or Ryan Young's coming back in the game. It it just you want somebody that frustrates the opponent so bad that they're just out of it by the time that the stars come back in the game and then you have them. I wonder if Christian Reeves can be that guy. I don't I, know yet. With still a lot so. of summer. He does not exude energy to me. He he really he just doesn't. I, I don't I I I'm not I'll be clear, I'm not bagging on the kid. I just don't I don't see a ton of energetic play from him. The kind of play that that you're talking about, Donald. I, I, it sounds what you're describing. It sounds to me like Sean Stewart way more than it sounds like Christian Reeves. Yeah, and I think the jury's still out, right? I mean, it's still summertime. There's still a long way to go. And, and absolutely, and as we've seen, they're only playing. They're only playing against each other, right? Like, and, and, not by the way, other it's it's worth noting Reeves was also coming off of some nagging injuries, so Correct. he hasn't been at full speed. He hasn't. He isn't fully in shape yet. Uh, yes, you're a hundred percent right. Uh, these impressions from this heavily edited video could be absolutely wrong. I'm just telling you what I saw on the video. Well, I mean, we overanalyze these videos. That's what that's what we that's what we do every summer. This is how this is how the summer gets shorter, right? Like is is it's good that we have these impressions because again, as we've said time and time again, these impressions can change over time, right? Like, you know, nobody thought Kyle Filipowski was going to be starting and being like the best player, you know, that Duke had, right? Like we thought he was going to be some guy that might start. We thought Mark Mitchell might start. These guys were indispensable for the team last year. So we'll, these impressions could change. All right, I've got uh, Christian Reeves' minutes uh, as a as a stat game line for this upcoming season. I think I think we're going to keep arguing about this, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to take sides in you know late October. Jason, what else did you see from this video that was impressive? Look, I I, I continue to think that Jaden Shoot looks really good in these videos. He seems fitter. He seems faster. He seems more confident. The sophomore leap, the sophomore leap is absolutely a thing. Jaden Shute attempted 23 pointers all of last year. I bet he surpasses that in the first 10 games of this season. I mean, I saw him hit at least three or four threes in this video. What you know, we don't know was he three of five or was he three of ten? But the the he does not look like the tentative player that we saw a lot of last year. He looks like he's more capable of moving around the floor and getting to good spots. He looks like he's capable of playing defense in a way that he was not last year. I I, I just feel like, uh, look, I know our guard rotation is just, man, it is murderer's row of trying to get minutes. I feel like Jaden Shute is going to get some minutes. One of the reasons that guard rotations murders row. Uh, look, Donald already talked about Caleb Foster. Caleb Foster looked really good in this video. Frankly, I think Jared McCain may have been the player who looked the best of anyone on the team in this video. Jared McCain looked unbelievably impressive. He had a couple like pocket passes that that he passed to like to like Ryan Young and Sean Stewart that I was like, damn, those are those are advanced plays. Uh, there's one point he took Tyrese Proctor off the dribble for this like one-handed layup that is just unstoppable. I noticed a lot of what Jared McCain does 
is one-handed, one-handed passes, one-handed shots, because it adds extra inches, maybe maybe even an extra foot to your reach to how far the ball is from the defense. And the, what I saw from Jared McCain again and again was a guy who is smart and smooth and knows the geometry of the game. All those one-handed plays, they look really fancy, but they are super difficult to defend because the ball goes to a place where as a defender, you're not expecting it to be. And I saw I saw Jared McCain playing really nice defense as well, really moving his feet well, keeping his body in the right position so he could use his hands to poke at the ball. He had a, a really nice steal off of Caleb Foster at one point. It is going to be super hard, super hard to keep Jared McCain out of the lineup. And, and like I said, I, I absolutely think he may have been the best looking player in the scrimmage and he can clearly play either point guard or shooting guard. I, I think it's very possible that he is the backup to Tyrese Proctor at point guard. And then the other guy I wanted to mention just super fast. Jason, what, the, yeah. Jason, Sorry, go ahead. The, you know, we, we haven't even talked about Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach at all, who were very prominent on this. I don't know yes. that we saw like a lot of new stuff from them, right? We know that Roach is coming off an injury uh, and, and we know that Proctor is going to have the ball in his hands a lot this season, like he did in the video. But when you're talking about the the guard minutes, we'd have to start with those guys before we even start oh, yeah. talking about Foster and McCain and 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 Jaden Shoot. So it's going to be like you said, it's going to be a, a tough competition, and and I anticipate uh, a lot of like four guard lineups for stretches for Duke this season, especially if there is time that that Filipowski has to mess with injury. But what else did you see in this video that uh, that stood out? Look, we could talk about virtually every player, but the the other two things I wanted to mention was one. I thought Mark Mitchell looked more confident. Um, uh, it looked like he was searching for his shot, searching for his offense more than he did last year. I mean, folks may re- may may forget there was a stretch of like ten games in a row where Mark Mitchell didn't score double digits last year, and and I, I was the one sort of saying that I thought maybe he shouldn't be a starter anymore. He then made me eat those words down the stretch and really came on. But but this was not a guy who was a prolific scorer as a freshman. And it looks like Duke's going to get more points, maybe significantly more points out of Mark Mitchell this coming season. I thought he looked just really super smooth out there and, and just so confident. And then the last thing I wanted to mention, the only freshman we haven't talked about is TJ Power. TJ Power is like barely in this video. And and admittedly, part of that may be that, you know, it's edited. I'm not saying he didn't play, but he did not factor very much in the highlights. That's what this video was. It was highlights. My bet is it was about, you know, a, a 24 minute, maybe a, maybe as much as a 30 minute scrimmage. And uh, I just I I did not see very much from TJ Power. Uh, we've talked extensively about about all these guys who need minutes. Um, it, it is it is a war to find minutes. And what I saw in this video was TJ Power losing that war. All right. So I, I think that's it. I know uh, we had a couple observations from. Uh, there were there were some like one-on-one videos that that Duke yeah gets to know the freshman we're we're not yeah we're not um we're we're not doing deep dives and like analysis of the of the new Duke basketball podcast uh, I think our official stance is have fun you know it's awesome our official great. stance is it's awesome it's yeah, a lot fun. of fun <laughs> uh, great um but but there were these like meet the freshman videos so Jason had an observation and then I think I have one too yeah so speaking of TJ Power. In the sort of they do, it's like a minute long this video, and they they rapid fire a whole bunch of questions, and it can almost fly past you so fast that you don't register it. Well, one of the questions registered with me, they go favorite Dookie, and TJ Power goes Cam Reddish, and I was like, wait, really, really? Now I love Cam, 
let's be clear. Great guy. But Cam Reddish is your favorite Dookie. I don't know. That's I just wanted to point that out. That was a little bit like, wait, really? That's kind of a little bit Look, strange. Everyone I, has I their started... favorites. Everyone has their favorites for different reasons. Yeah. And yeah. for us, Cam favorites always going to be one of my Cam Reddish is going to be always one of my favorites. Why? That Florida because State game. That Florida State game where he hit that three was absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. And I mean, look, like those moments resonate with people. Like there's a bunch of people who like who know who Wojo is because of, you know, that UNC game, right? They know who Capel is because of the shot. They know some of these players who it, it, for other than those moments may not have been like most remembered players, at least outside of Duke. But for him, like Cam Reddish, it made him a, a pretty good shot at a pretty pivotal moment of that season and to complete a comeback that's going to resonate with a lot of these young kids so I, i'm not surprised that cam is getting some love look I, I i think part of i think part of why tj look you look for someone if you're a player you look for someone that sort of resembles your game that you're like ooh, i want to be like that guy and and i can there there's certainly absolutely some similarities in tj powers game and cam reddish's game i think i think everybody Everyone on the Duke forums and the such wants to compare TJ Power to Kyle Singler. I think that's that's putting a lot on TJ Power. Kyle Singler, a lot of pressure. Yeah, Kyle Singler, <laughs> arguably, arguably the best player to not have his jersey retired in Duke history. I mean, he's certainly up there in the conversation. So that's putting a lot on TJ Power. I want to point out to everyone: if you were like, "Why didn't he pick Kyle Singler?" TJ Power's like was like four or five when Kyle Singler was a player at Duke, so he may not have you know, the best memories of Kyle Singler. So when these guys are being asked for their favorite player, unlike us, they can't go back in history and ain't, ain't nobody going Elton Brand, Jay Williams, Shane Battier, because they don't have any perspective on those guys. So if it's got to be guys from the past, like, I don't know, six, eight years or so, I guess Cam Reddish is fine. But I was like, really, Cam Reddish? Come on, TJ. Jason, how did you know the topic I was going to finish with here, which is that in Sean Stewart's video, he said that his favorite Duke player is Grant Hill. That's awesome. It's the complete opposite. His awesome, favorite yeah. Duke player is Grant Hill. Grant Hill graduated from Duke. Like, uh, I was trying to look up Sean Stewart's birthday, but like eight or nine years before, like eight years, I think, before Sean Stewart was born, um, Grant Hill played his last game in the NBA when Sean Stewart was about eight years old. Uh, now, Sean Stewart, uh, his father played in the NBA for a long time, so it's possible that that he and Grant Hill are are, you know, are are friends of some kind. Um, it's not it's not the biggest fraternity in the world, so uh, it's possible that 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 he knows him sort of from growing up. But uh, but he claimed that Grant Hill was his favorite player, like the equivalent. Like if I had said, if I had made a comment like that when I was like you know coming into college, or someone had been like, "Who's your favorite Duke basketball player?" That would me be say like being like, "My favorite Duke basketball player is Gene Banks." Uh, like that's the that's the the like age equivalent of this. So Grant Hill played. No offense. Grant Hill played at Duke a long time ago. But also, you see his highlights every single year during the NCAA tournament. So it's Very not true. Like, he, like Cam Reddish is one thing where you, you again, you have to be a Duke fan to really kind of appreciate some of the, the highlights that he has at Duke, right? But in the era of YouTube, in the era of the NCAA tournament where, you know, let's put it, you know, Grant Hill was a gamer, right, in the NCAA tournament. He had some moments. Not like one shining moment. He had several shining moments. And they're replayed every single year during the NCAA tournament multiple times. And he's a you know announcer for most of these games, including during the Final Four. So he is more in the you know in the brains of some of these players. I'm not saying that they don't know who Grant Hill is. 
I'm saying that the highlights of Grant Hill have the uh, have the streaky lights in them. You know, they're not in HD. They were on VHS. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Jason was cool in those videos, right? Like that's the <laughs> that's the that's that's the time on them. So. I'm just, I'm just, Jason, I don't know if you had a response to that. No, no, I, <laughs> dude, I think it's, it's awesome that he thinks Grant Hill is his favorite Dookie of all time. And, and, but wait, so here's the difference. Grant Hill is absolute legend. I mean, like NBA hall of famer. He's still very relevant in the game as one of the owners of the Atlanta Hawks. I think he's, he's like the, 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 the representative of the ownership group of the Atlanta Hawks, the managing partner. Yeah. 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 That's the word I was looking for. Thank you very much. Uh, so so I get, I mean, Grant Hill is still relevant today. I, I was joking about, you know, Shane Battier. Shane Battier is still relevant today. Um, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of Cam Reddish will be in 15 years. But he's still in the NBA, so yeah, he's, he's still rolling. Mark Allery? Mark Allery, Mark. yeah. Like, Mark Allery is... No, Mark Allery is way better than Cam Reddish. <laughs> was, I don't know. I, I Like, I didn't see Mark Allery play in the NBA, but it would be it would be me pulling out pulling out players like you know who played in the nba but but who Wait, you know you want a cam reddish equivalent kyle strickland i don't know who that is <laughs> that's from my era that's from that person was kyle strickland like a top 10 draft pick no he was not so you're right that's a bad that's, equivalent that's okay. what I was going for, is like because there are plenty of guys who are like top 10 draft picks who don't become you know certified famous basketball people like grant hill Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Cam Reddish will like play in the NBA for a while, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be certified famous person. Cam Reddish uh, merely, you know, was one of the like 300 best basketball players in the world for for eight years. Cam Reddish merely uh, if we're, you know, if we're if we're if we're limiting it to that. OK, I think we've gone on too long. We've 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 had to we've had to run around a bit. Let's wrap this up. Uh Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, good time of year to be sending us emails. I think the three of us were talking the other day about how we'd like to bring some emails up, but uh, it turns out like sometimes the good questions get lost in the shuffle in the middle of the season. So I was trying to go back through and find some. I might, I might find some, but uh, if you have if you have burning thoughts from from months ago that you want to bring back up, this is a good time of year to send them to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I don't know when we'll be back. Depends on when there's news. Uh, this is the time of year when when things are sort of at their slowest. So for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This is the way, episode five hundred. Yes, hold on. I realized I made a mistake. It wasn't. See, this is how old I've gotten. It wasn't. His name was Kevin Strickland, not Kyle Strickland. I see? apologize. This is what, <laughs> what happened. I apologize. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait, it wasn't Kyle Strickland. I said it, and then I was like, I was that like, wasn't the name. <laughs> Kevin, and Kevin Strickland, hell of a player. Like Kevin Strickland and Robert Bricky, Phil Henderson. These are all guys from my my years at Duke. Greg Kubek, I'm just, I'm doing it all. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> but I, I apologize. I said Kevin Strickland's name wrong. There are people out there. We're going to get emails left and right. I'm so sorry about that, Kevin. Send them to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. You, you can so roast us there. 526 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We'll talk to you again soon. Duke band, take us home. In that TJ Power video. That interview thing? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jason pointed out that his favorite player was Cam Reddish. Mm -hmm. I, I, maybe you guys didn't notice. He said the name of uh, the town where he went to high school as Worcester, which is an yeah. even grosser 
uh, mispronunciation of it uh-huh. than how Massachusetts people normally say it. Um, he went for Worcester as opposed to Worcester. give you a big Labor Day surprise. Most people think if we all exercise the same and eat the same, we'd all look the same. And let me tell you why that's wrong. Your body is unique and your metabolism is unique. I'm Lacey Green and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And you can't see me, but I don't look like your average personal trainer. I'm curvy and I'm proud of it. So I created a program for beginners only on the Body app to show people like us how to get incredible results and be our version of happy and healthy. This isn't just workout videos. It's people like you and me. It's community. It's incredible trainers. It's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better. And you can get started with my new program called For Beginners Only. Now, here's the big surprise. If you go to body.com right now, that's B-O-D-I.com, not only can you get everything Body has to offer at 50% off with an annual membership, you'll also get an additional 20% off, but only during Labor Day weekend. Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I.com.